MailChimp presents. Ever heard of a customer? You know, it's when marketers group all their customers, regardless of their different behaviors, into one big mess. But with MailChimp, you can use real-time behavior data to personalize emails for every customer based on their browsing and buying behavior, turning your customers into customers. Intuit MailChimp, the number one email marketing and automations brand. Based on competitor brands' publicly available data on worldwide numbers of customers in 2021 and 2022. Availability of features and functionality vary by plan, which are subject to change. Hello, beautiful listeners. This is Paul Jarvis, and you're listening to Call Paul, Business as Unusual. This show explores how small business owners are facing the reality of living through our first pandemic. This pandemic has exposed just how fragile our economy, businesses, and supply chains really are. Within days of various shelter-in-place orders, thousands of companies had to lay off their staff or shut down completely. But, at the same time, this has also exposed some real heroes and businesses that put people over profit, ingenuity over routine, and showed just how quickly small and caring companies can pivot towards a common goal. We've got four-liter jugs and 20-liter pails and um, like a a jerry-rigged bottling line. Everything is just kind of a little chaotic. That's Dave from Wayward Distillery. They're known for making spirits out of local honey, and they operate a few hours north of where I live on the left coast of Canada. Dave is a perfect example of how some small businesses would rather go out of business doing the right thing than stay in business doing the wrong thing. That's why Wayward was one of the first distilleries to make hand sanitizer, and they even gave it away to first responders before they were allowed to sell it to the public. Uh, It is a completely different environment here than it has been um, over the last five years. Uh, Our workforce is now just me and Laura. Laura is... um, our head distiller, and we now make and bottle sanitizer. So there's packaging all over the place. We have uh, batches of sanitizer um, that have popped up right in the middle of our production floor as we push our rum barrels aside. We push our like spirit tanks to the back. We've really streamlined the whole process here to do one thing and that is to make, package, and distribute hand sanitizer. So normally you could come into our distillery, into the production side, but we've closed off the the facility so people can't come into where we're working because we need to be exceptionally um, cognizant of of health here. Like, we are a distribution point for sanitizer. Like, we can't can't get sick. (laughs) That makes sense. So can you talk to me a bit about... What made you initially want to go and open a distillery? Oh my gosh, it's it's an amusement park for adults. No, um, <laughs> I uh, I a significant part of my um, 
of my choice, of my drive to start the distillery comes from my previous job, from my life in the Canadian Armed Forces. One of the things that the military does is helps us plan for our second life. You know, the average military career is 20 to 25 years, and most people join when they're 19 or 20. So retirement at 40 or 45 is a very real thing. So I wanted to start wayward. I wanted to start my distillery after I left the military with a pension. When when I was in my early 40s, it was going to be my retirement job, if that makes sense. And things changed uh, about six years ago. The province of BC created uh, a craft distiller designation. So they acknowledged that if you are small, independent, you use BC ingredients, you make and ferment and distill your own alcohol on site. So you don't you don't buy commercial alcohol like the big guys do. Um, then we get a, a, a significant markup advantage. And I decided to leave the military early to start my business. I wanted to be the first to do it um, in this whole new this whole new world. So, yeah, I left the military early without a pension and um, started wayward, and it has been an adventure ever since. Nice, I think that, and I think on the consumer side too, it's great that there are so many craft brewery. Like we live on the same island, there are uh, so many that you can go to visit and check out and see how things are made. Totally, and um, you look at beer choices of the consumer behavior in beer. People are buying beer made by people that live in their community, and they're going to their community hub, their third place, and they are supporting their local communities and. Um, that that shift is happening all over the place. It happened in wine a while ago. It happened in beer. It happened in food. You know, like eating, going to the farmer's market and getting local eggs and local vegetables to go home and make a meal and knowing that your money is staying in the community. Yeah, I, I think it. I think it's also great for um, food security. There, there was a time when the island produced more than half of the food that we ate. Mm. And that's obvious. That's not the case anymore. But I see that shift of people starting to be a lot more interested in growing food and supporting local and buying their alcohol, bringing their growlers into the shop, getting them refilled. My motivation to start an alcohol business was uh, I'm fascinated by alcohol. I traveled the world trying local regional spirits and beers and um, like I'm into it. But every drop of spirits at Wayward is made from honey uh, instead of grain or potato or, or other food. And our bees pollinate human crop. So every bottle of vodka is two and a half pounds of honey. And that's hundreds of thousands of flowers that have been pollinated. That's that's thousands of pounds of apples <laughs> that have been made through, um, yeah, through every drop of our spirit. So uh, just you mentioned food security, and I got very excited because that is another huge part of why I built Wayward the way it is, how we operate, you know, like how we go day to day. So why do more distilleries not do that? It costs ten times as much to make a honey-based spirit than a grain-based spirit. Just think of buying two pounds of farmers market honey versus buying two pounds of wheat flour. Yeah. Right. Um, so we were the first in the country to make spirits out of honey. Um, and back then there were 
eight people on the planet that I could find that were doing it. Yeah, it was it was a, a shot in the dark, but we really wanted to make a positive difference. So you think of uh, an acre of of corn or an acre of potatoes that you are converting into alcohol. So you're condensing it and you're fermenting it and distilling it and bottling it and selling it. That's a lot of food that you're removing from our food chain. So then if there was only eight or so people doing it, that's not something you can Google. <laughs> how, how did you learn? How did you learn this craft? <laughs> I use that term a lot. You couldn't just check the <laughs> Wikipedia on how to make vodka from honey. Um, so I just applied the scientific method. I tried something. If it worked, I did more of it. If it didn't work, I tried to see what was what I could do different. And we are making an old world style mead where it's quick fermentation, maybe two weeks. The mead is living, like it's it's turbid. It has yeast in it. It's still self carbonating. It's a really fun mead that we make. Uh, so then, six years later, there <laughs> there has been a shift to hand sanitizer. Talk talk about this and the decision to first start making hand sanitizer and, and what that kind of looked like for the business. We had an expectation of what a March would look like. We go from December, which is our best month of the year, to January, which is our worst month of the year. And the transition between the two is like December 31st is busy, January 1st we're closed, January 2nd no one's buying alcohol. So March is normally our transition period where we the, the Christmas money is gone and spring money starts coming in. So we start like ramping production back up. We start seeing an increase in business normally in March. So we were prepared for that. Yeah, and that didn't happen. It didn't start ramping up. No, it and, and it happened. It was like a small hole in a dam where it drips a little bit, and then that water makes the hole bigger, and that makes the hole bigger. Like we went from what's happening to this is concerning to holy f- to we're shut down. Our conversations internally were okay. How do we survive this? What can we do to? meet our customers, you know, because we have fans, we have customers, we just need to, we need to meet them where they've gone and they're changing their behavior. Mm -hmm. Our conversations originally were just survival and then, and then hand sanitizer. We learned through the government that like contact spreading, community spreading of, of COVID is happening. And the best way to stop that is washing your hands and if you can't wash your hands, use a hand sanitizer. It became quickly apparent that while we're concerned about our business, while we are shutting down, while I'm laying off everyone, like we were in the negative. Like we were in the red in our bank account. And at the exact same time, we started to see shortages of sanitizer. And I have alcohol. I'm not selling it <laughs> right now. No one's buying it. Yeah. It's sitting here. And I thought, you know, we'll make a little bit of hand sanitizer. People seem to want it. Maybe that'll be a, maybe that'll like drive some interest in, in wayward. You're just throwing things at the wall. So I, um, I made a little post, put it out that we're thinking of getting, of making hand sanitizer. And the response I got was over overwhelming and gut-wrenching. It was every local fire department, the RCMP, the Victoria Police Department, transition centers, 
the John Howard Society, the like Coalition to End Homelessness, it wasn't customers who were like, oh, I want a bottle of hand sanitizer. It was essential services, and it scared me that they didn't have it. it yeah. It, it totally, like, it, it, it shocked me. So we made the decision to make as much as possible and donate it to the people at the front lines who were starving for it. Yeah, because their supply chain has is affected as well for all those sorts of things. Yeah, and so it was essential services and frontline workers that were just out of it. So we scrambled and scrambled, and I went and found some bottles, and I needed to put a label on it. So just like a local company, Sure Copy, they donated the labels for it. Uh, Industrial Paints and Plastics donated us a whole bunch of bottles just so we could get it out to everyone as quickly as we could. And that happened that happened before we had permission to make it. It was just us stepping in to really <laughs> to to fill a need and, and to do something. Yeah, no, that's, and I mean, personally, thank you for that. My wife is a first responder, so I, I appreciate you looking after them because it is, they don't have a choice. Say if somebody needs help, they go. That's that's what they do. So how long can you continue to to do things the way that you're doing them? <laughs> Every liter of hand sanitizer I put out, I lost $18 on or more. It was ridiculous. Like I make honey-based spirits. I'm the most expensive alcohol you can make in British Columbia or like you can just make. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, it was not, is not in no way sustainable. So we donated it to people who needed it. Um, and then we started selling a small amount as we got approval from Health Canada. Like it was a, it was a hard week. It was a hard week where we, we had no hope of ever getting money for this. It was, but we had no choice. Like I mentioned, military for 15 years uh, in the company, we have over 50 years of military service. We had no option. We had to do this. It was our duty. So um, it was our moral and ethical duty to, to assist our brothers and sisters out there who are in need. So we did it. We just, we just did it. And as we were doing it, the province said, okay, Distilleries, you can make hand sanitizer. In about a week, we transitioned from making and distributing hand sanitizer gorilla style to going through the authorizations, getting our site license, getting our drug identification number, getting our formula approved, getting excise approval, which is um, a huge tax on alcohol, $13 a liter about. Um, we went through all those levels of, of bureaucracy and at the end of it, we were authorized to sell uh, hand sanitizer, make and sell. Yeah. So what we've been doing is we've been selling hand sanitizer so that we can afford to donate hand sanitizer. Do you think your military training has prepared you for this? Like the resilience of being in the military has helped you be able to just continue to roll with these punches from different directions? I think that... Every one of us is a collection of all the skills and all the challenges we've faced before us. And I do not think that military service 
put me at a disadvantage. <laughs> so we we were a sum of all the things that we know and learn and resiliency and just putting your head down and getting it done. I think that definitely helped. And also triage, being able to look at the problems that we were facing and figure out what we could deal with, what we had influence on and what we didn't. That's not saying that I didn't pull up to my company and cry in my car as I have to tell my employees that I can't pay them, but, but they're all laid off. Like that definitely happened. But, um, yeah, working through it, it, it definitely helped. Are you hopeful about it continuing, um, being able to keep up with the demand that there is? Yeah, I, I feel positive. I feel positive for our country. I feel positive that um, eventually the big guys will step in. Um, like we've we've heard that, you know, the big four alcohol producers are going to start making sanitizer, but as of today, they haven't made a drop. Uh, they're waiting for government funding before they produce sanitizer. Um, and they're the ones that are going to get the big sanitizer contracts from the government as well. So I'm hopeful that individual human beings are going to get what they need to protect themselves. I, I know that's going to happen. Um, I know that the large guys are going to secure their supply chain and buy in bulk and, and it's going to happen. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not as positive for the outlook on all of the craft distillers that stepped in and made sanitizer for our hospitals before the big guys would even consider it. You know, we're going to get left behind in this transition. I'm sure of it. Yeah. I mean, that, that is probably true, but I also think uh, you, and I don't even think you'll all need to say anything about it. I just think it'll be ingrained in all of our minds, what people did for other people. And that will, for as many companies as that can come out of this as possible, I think people will remember that. And there will be uh, what I can only assume is even more of a surge towards um, buying and supporting local businesses like the one that you're running. I think think that would be great. It would be absolutely great. (laughs) The speed at which things have been changing has been mind-boggling, but the speed at which businesses like yours have been adapting and being able to do things has been probably one of the more hopeful things that I've seen happening um, in, in the world right now where people are just seeing a need and filling it. And I, I, yeah, I just I honestly, dude, I think that that is amazing. It was and brought clarity to my life in a time of chaos to realize that we didn't have a choice. Um, Either COVID was going to go away in three weeks or we were going to shut down. And once I wrap my head around that, that there's, there's no way to save the company doing what I used to do, then all the resources that I'm sitting on, like, what am I going to do with them? I'm, I'm going to do some good and I'm going to just make this happen. And once I made that decision, it was just peace. In the beginning of this pandemic, I was very nervous about how long it'd take to get back to normal with business and the economy. 
it created a great deal of stress and anxiety and made it really hard for me to concentrate. Now I'm thinking though, that I'm not sure I want things to get back to normal. And let me explain. Normal, for the most part, with the global economy and big business, was kind of a burning dumpster fire. It's been ruining our planet, burning through finite resources, putting profit over people, and creating a vast chasm of a divide between those at the top and everyone else. When you ask a person, generally, what they feel holds the most value in their lives, most say things like connection, family, friendship, community. But if you look at how the world had worked until now, it's been things like money, power, fame, success, greed, that have dominated. So what if we work to better align ourselves, our actions, and our companies to be closer to what we actually say is important? There are, however, businesses like Wayward Distillery that do align with what we hold as valuable. So maybe once all of this is over, these can be the types of businesses we collectively support and buy from even more than we've done in the past. We prioritized gaining power over other people for too long. Maybe this pandemic can show us that there's more power in being connected to and helping all people instead. Like what Dave felt called to do with his business. He felt he didn't have an option. He had to do what was right. That's the type of business I want to personally see come back stronger than ever and as soon as possible. While you can't visit Dave's distillery right now and sample a flight of his gin or vodka, you can still order from them on their website at waywarddistillery.com. Their hand sanitizer is also available on their website and is probably the nicest hand sanitizer label I've ever seen. Call Paul is produced by Ruth Eddy and is a MailChimp original podcast. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform so you can get new episodes every Thursday. To learn more about my thoughts on business and living online, you can hop on my newsletter at sundaydispatches.com. Oh, and we want to hear from you too about how your business is adapting and shining. Send us an email with a voicemail memo attachment to callpaul at mailchimp.com. <laughs>